Hello and welcome. Today's episode of the Man Overseas podcast is brought to you by Blogcaster. It's like Audible, but for blogs. For a limited time, the first 50 listeners can get a free lifetime membership to Blogcaster. All you have to do is follow at underscore Blogcaster on Twitter and send a DM saying you heard about it on the Man Overseas podcast. My guest today is Carson Lee. He graduated from college as a student athlete and just finished his third year of professional baseball. He's passionate about sports, fitness, health, and he does lots of motivational and inspirational type content on his popular Instagram page. His mentor since he was a little kid has been Chase Lambin, who is, of course, well known to this podcast. Let me just say you could do worse in terms of mentoring. Chase was my first guest on the podcast. Today we talk about the competitive Sci-Fair School District in Houston, where we both played high school baseball. Then we touch on the Houston Astros scandal, particularly Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. Then later we get into baseball as a metaphor for life, how many of the skills that you learn playing sports are transferable to the business world, and a lot more. So here we go. Let me introduce Mr. Carson Lee. Carson Lee, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? Brad, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Sure. Everything's good. I'm in Mexico, Playa Carmen. Where are you? I am in Houston, Texas right now. I'm actually in Cyprus, a little suburb uh, northwest of Houston. You know all about Cyprus. Mexico sounds a lot better than Houston right now. <laughs> you know, the weather is cool. I've been here probably 12, 13 times. And for the first time in my life, we have to wear sweaters at night. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I'm sure that's really comfortable. Feeling the breeze come off the, come off the water in the beach. Indeed. Yes. And I am from Cyprus. I went to Cy Falls High School. Did you go to, which high school did you go to? So I went to Cy Ranch uh, the very first year it opened. And I was there until my junior year. And then my dad had gotten a new job. And so we moved further inbound. We kind of moved, well, his job was further inbound. And so we moved down by the racetrack off the Beltway. And I ended up transferring to Jersey Village, the spring semester of my junior year just because you know i didn't want to be driving from the beltway all the way out to side ranch you know where like friday road is about 30 minutes every morning with traffic so i ended up transferring and i ended up graduating from jersey village which is where my whole family graduated from so so did you transfer away from a perennial powerhouse because side ranch is a big (laughs) high school baseball program nowadays it's actually funny because i transferred that was 2011 I transferred and that team was supposed to be like their you know powerhouse team to kind of start their dynasty and we actually at Jersey Village rattled off nine straight wins and knocked them out of the playoffs and got the fourth seed in, in our district and then the very next year my class because I graduated class of 2012 so my senior year the class of all the guys I grew up with uh, we were probably one of the better teams in the district. I mean, we had quite a few D1 commits on our team, a few guys that were getting looked at to get drafted. So we were pretty good. Uh, but we ended up missing the playoffs by one game. We just didn't end up having as good of a season as we should have. And then Cy Ranch went on and won the state title that year. And so it was all of, you know, all my buddies that I had grown up with from when I was little and then played with growing up. And so, I mean, it was cool for them just to see all my buddies get rewarded like that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, you know, that could have been me. But you, know, you live and you learn. So, yeah, I have a similar story. I moved away from a small town in Louisiana when I was in eighth grade 
And that group of kids went on to win the state championship when I was a junior and senior. So I, mi I missed out on that. And it was the first ever state title for that program. And interestingly, interestingly enough, about seven or eight years ago, somebody visited our high school that we went to high school with and took a picture of a sign on the wall as you enter the dugout that showed every year's all district, the, the players who made all district. And as people were commenting on this post on Facebook, a lot of us had never seen it before and thought it was pretty cool to see our name next to the year 1998 or 1999, whatever it was. And one of my friends from that small town in Louisiana commented, all you made was all district. And he laughed because I'm sure he was all first team, all state and all of that. But he went to a 3A school in Louisiana. And so what I try to explain to them is that a 3A state championship team would probably do well in our district in Houston, but it's hard to explain to people from outside of the Houston area just how competitive the Sci-Fair Independent School District Baseball League is. I mean, it is incredible. Like you said, you had guys being drafted. You had guys playing D1 ball. The year after I graduated from Sci Falls High School, our high school had two first-round draft picks, mm -hmm. pitchers, one righty, one lefty. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they didn't get to the state championship. I mean, so it's really, really a competitive district. And I'd put it up against any district in the country, I would think. And it's, it's like that every single year. Yeah, I know at Side Falls, y'all had uh, Scott Kazmier, because I remember as a little kid, you know, my dad's a baseball nut, and we would go, he would go watch Kazmier pitch, and I would go with him. And I remember one of his best friends was a scout for the Astros at, at the time. He's not anymore, but he would, you know, go out there and scout Kazmier, and so we would tag along with him and sit with him, watch the radar gun and all that. Uh, but yeah, you know, like you said, the Sci-Fair District, I mean, I guess there's 12 schools now, but I think, you know, when I was playing, there was only 10. Basically, nine out of the 10 schools every night, you were going to see 88 to 90 and more than likely 90 to 92. Um, the, the pitching was never, you were never going to have slouch pitching. Um, and every team had guys that were going Division One or, or potentially getting drafted. So you were playing the top competition every night. I agree. I think people on the outside don't realize how good the Cypher District is. It is one of the top districts, if not the top district in, in the state. I have a, a Casimir story. So about, this is about 10 years ago at my 10-year high school reunion. There was a guy up younger than me. He was about two or three years younger than me. And so he would have been a freshman when I was a senior. And Casimir would have been in eighth grade. And so this guy was telling a friend of his, so this is after our reunion, we went out to a bar and there were a bunch of people that we went to high school with. And so this guy was telling a friend of his who was about his age that this is, he was introducing me, this is Brad D'Antonio. Um, he was, I think, class of 98. And uh, man, when he was in high school, uh, he got all the girls. He goes, really? Like, like Casimir? He goes, no, idiot, not like Casimir. Nobody gets kicks like Casimir. That's funny. Houston, you play professional baseball. The first thing I thought we'd talk about with regard to Houston baseball was the Astros cheating scandal. But I enjoy talking about the high school days. What do you think about the, um, the cheating scandal that's going down right now? 
I might get some backlash for this, but I'm kind of torn on it because at one side of me is like, everyone's doing it to some degree. Um, you know, I mean, sign stealing has been something that's been around for since the game was invented. You know, there's always been those unwritten rules in baseball of you're trying to figure out a way to get an edge. But then at the same time, you know, you're kind of going over the line by using technology. But then I kind of revert back to the fact that what does, I, I just don't really see what MLB expects whenever they're allowing the teams to have Apple watches and iPads in the dugout, uh, you know, immediate uh, TV monitors with immediate feeds right there in the walkway. And then just right up the tunnel in the clubhouse, having the replay room that you can access at any time. So for me, I'm kind of in the middle because it's like, yeah, it's cheating. It's crossing the line. But at the same time, I, I feel like with all the advances that baseball is making technology wise and going with all the analytics and tracking numbers, this was bound to happen at some point. And I think the Astros were really just ahead of the curve of everybody else that they were the best to doing it and they got caught. And I think the fact that they were in the World Series is what really amplifies it. I think if, if they either had not won the World Series or maybe weren't even a playoff team or just the caliber of team they were, I don't really think we'd be hearing about it. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn because I guess I don't know if you saw this uh, whenever you're doing your research, but I, I had Bat Boyd in 2014 for the Astros. I was on the visiting side. And I remember even then, um, you know, I don't want to name like player names, but there was a, a specific player, one series that he, he was a pitcher and he was coming up into the locker room in between innings. And he was watching video of the guys he was going to be facing that next inning. So it was like, that's why I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle there where I, I don't really know. It's obviously that, you know, that is cheating to know what pitch is coming and to go to those links with, with the trash cans and the buzzers that they use the buzzers, the new thing that's come out. But then I'm also just like, you know, what, what did baseball really expect was going to happen? So do you think that Altuve and Bregman were probably wearing devices? I think a hundred percent. I think, I think that is where it had grown to. I think they kind of realized after the trash can thing, maybe, not only maybe is this kind of obvious because you, if you kind of listen to what a lot of the people were saying and like the reports, um, you know, players are coming out and saying like, Hey, we knew we, they were doing this. Um, so I think probably word got around that they were doing it because probably players were, were curious of what this loud bang is every time they throw an off speed pitch. And so I feel like it just grew into the technology advance uh, advancement of having a buzzer on their body. And instead of having to see the sign and then hurry up and bang the trash can um, within, you know, a matter of three or four seconds, they just press a button and let the buzzer shock them. Uh, that's, you know, that's my opinion. I, I think 100% they were using buzzers. But like I said, I also think that there's more than just the Astros that were cheating. I just don't think other teams were going to the specific links that the Astros went to, if that makes sense. So you're telling me if you hit a home run to win the World Series, you wouldn't round third base coming into home and make sure that you knew that your teammates didn't rip your jersey? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of conspicuous, isn't it? Right. And then go into the dugout immediately and go change your shirt without celebrating yeah. your teammates. Yeah, it's and, crazy. 
And I don't know if you caught this, but when he was asked the question in the interview after the game, he repeated the question. And, you know, that's sort of a universal sign of, hey, I need some time to think. And his response was that something about his wife had concern about him not having a shirt on. Uh, So that's, yeah, that's somewhat laughable. But I haven't heard somebody say that they were 100%. I've heard 99%. So if you're 100%, man, my my percentage of them wearing devices, whether or not I believe it, probably just went from 90 to 95%. (laughs) I don't have any inside information. I just, I think it's my opinion of kind of, what I've seen go on and just from the various reports I've read. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the, I don't know if you saw the interview that Mike Clevenger did the pitcher with the Indians. I think he really touched on it really well because the thing is, I guess, is that what the public eye doesn't see and really what I wasn't even taking into account is that, you know, if you're a pitcher and and you're like a fringe guy that maybe is the 26th, 25th man, you know, that's kind of on the brink of triple A, double A, or triple A MLB or double A MLB, um, you know, you're kind of going back and forth, or maybe it's your first league in the major leagues, first year, I mean, in the major leagues, that if you go against the Astros and you just get ripped and give up five, six, seven, eight runs, you know, that hurts your numbers, which not only does it hurt your pending contract negotiations in the future but it could also send you right back down to the minor leagues and you don't know if you're going to get that opportunity again to come back up because of your performance before and I thought that was a very interesting point because it's very true that you know you're the guys aren't trying they're trying to make it to the big leagues but once you make it to the big leagues you're trying to figure out how you can stay there and get the job security to secure a contract and then stay there permanently and so the difference of, of giving up five or six, seven, eight runs and getting knocked out of the game and going back down to the minor leagues and, you know, going from major league minimum to minor league minimum, which is a major league minimum is 506. I don't know what the minor league minimum is, but it's definitely not anywhere close to 506. So, you know, that's a big jump, especially when you're talking dollars and you're taking food off guys' tables and, and opportunities away from them. That's such a good point. It reminds me of the steroid era. I was one of those guys that was almost drafted, I would say, and a little juice would have done me a lot of good. But it was so prevalent that I would try to explain to folks my dad's age what was going on, and they couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, there's no way that a third of the players that you play with in the Jayhawk League are doing steroids. That's just, that's there's, there's not a possibility. And then you have, that's what they would think, of course. And it's, it was always guys you wouldn't think. And then you'd have coaches. I can remember us stretching before a game one time, and one of our players asked our coach if, they, if he thought that Barry Bonds was on the juice. And the coach said, that guy's been working his ass off for 15 or 20 years. And it's like, you know, that's what you got to say as a coach. <laughs> but you can tell by looking at that dude's head that, that something ain't right. Uh, but uh-huh. yeah, it's the guys who are on the on the margins who are are almost going to get signed, or that's who it hurts. But you see that even in politics, right? Elizabeth Warren is one one hundred and one one thousand and twenty fourth Native American. She's gotten jobs because of that minority status. Which somebody who was on the brink of getting into a certain in, getting into Harvard or whatever, they got left they got left out. So yeah, you're exactly right, and I think that's a great point. Well, and then one of the things too that it hasn't been talked about, but I've, I guess from my experiences, I've 
kind of put the pieces together. But that ultimately, not I mean, not does not only does it affect those major league guys or the Brink guys, but that trickles all the way down to guys like me because now essentially you're taking away, you know, where a guy would be going up. So now you have a roster spot available at AAA, so they got to call somebody up. Now there's a roster spot available one of the lower levels, well, now they may need someone with some experience, so maybe they go and sign an independent guy, and this is the independent guy's opportunity and affiliated ball to open some eyes. So it's not only affecting those guys, but it trickles all the way down in the game to the very bottom because it it's not only opens up opportunities when guys go up, but when they come back down, it starts closing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, but like I said, I think it's one of those things that MLB had coming to them because of what they were allowing to happen in the dugout and with the just the analytical advancements. Uh, you know, I've really wondered what's actually going on in the minor leagues. I mean, if you have this much supervision in a major league game and clubhouse where they're watching what, what guys are doing, watching the videos and kind of monitor, monitoring them, what's going on in the minor leagues where they don't have as much supervision? You know, are they doing the exact same thing? Are they getting the exact same advances? So it's, it's interesting. It's kind of, I'm interested to see how it plays out over the next few years and where this sign stealing thing, kind of what direction it goes and how much more information comes out from it. And with regard to Altuve, one thing I thought about when I was reading all this scandalous stuff of late is that he was working under probably the worst contract in the history of contracts, <laughs> certainly ML, MLB, but maybe in the history of the world, because as far as his market value, he was making about four to five, maybe six million dollars a year. And so I remember feeling bad for Altuve that he was getting screwed, not getting anything close to what his market value was, but also thinking, you know, maybe he made a poor decision in the agent that he chose. But then for the first time when all these scandals came out, I started thinking, well, if the Astros know that he's got a he's got a little buzzer that he's wearing that's enabling him to hit 35 home runs, maybe that's why they're not giving him more money because they uh-huh. know without the buzzer he couldn't go to Oakland and hit 30 home runs. So just uh, yeah, again, I'm not one to start conspiracy theories either, but it, it is fun to it's fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I've just read this article the other day that. I guess, you know, Hinch had tried to stop all of it from, from happening. Like, I guess one or two times he'd, he'd beaten up a monitor and, and said, stop this. And apparently Luna, Luno or Luna, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but apparently it was coming from him, the top down saying, no, like this is what we're doing, where we're going through with this. Um, because they, they were so analytically driven that they were, they, that's what they were believing in. Ultimately Hinch and Luno end up taking the fall, but that's, or read, I shouldn't say heard. I read that was a culture Luna had created, where um, you know, doing anything possible to to win a game, even if that meant stealing signs and cheating. What if they thought that the upside outweighed the downside? It certainly did for the players, and maybe Major mm-hmm. League Baseball is now protecting its stars. We've seen organizations, professional organizations, do that before to um, to preserve the integrity of the players somebody's got to be a, a sacrificial lamb and in this case it was a manager and, and GM we're still going to talk a little bit about baseball but I want to transition to transition more to like baseball as a metaphor for life so you talked about 
what it is that you want baseballs to do off your bat and where you wanted baseballs to land in the cage after you've hit the balls. And so I thought I wanted you to talk a little bit about how having a plan in the batting cage transitions into a more meta skill of, of having a plan in life. And, and do you do you take time to read and think and plan for your life? Because I know you now you've started a business recently, right? Do you yes, see some of those skills uh, being transferable from baseball into business? A hundred percent. I think everything I have learned through baseball is has become relatable to life and a life lesson in some sort of way. Um, so, you know, specifically, like I made that post talking about watching your the flight path of the ball, basically just learning how to become your own coach. And that was something Chase had told me, taught me when I was l- real little was that, you know, I can't be with you every step of the way. I can't go to your games in the spring when I'm playing. So I need you to take what I'm teaching you, understand it, but also learn how to feel your body, have body awareness and feel what you're doing, understand that your good swings, understand your bad swings. Um, and so in doing that, you know, for me, I developed a lot of watching the ball come off the bat and how the ball came off the bat w- w- was a direct uh, signal to me of what my swing was doing. So for me, I know that if I can hit a ball up the middle at a slight arc going up and it hits the top of the cage where the hanging net and the top net meet, with backspin, then that is pretty much my perfect swing. I'm staying connected. I'm creating direction through the pitcher. Uh, I'm not pulling off the ball. You know, I'm hitting through the ball, creating extension is, is what it would be called. I took a swing and and I rolled over into the left side of the cage, and the ball has topspin. Well, now I know I'm pulling my shirt, my shoulder. I may maybe I'm out in front. I'm early. I'm not staying through it. I'm coming off. So it's one of those things where doing that allowed me to really become a better hitter because I was so focused on creating that consistency in the cage of let me take 10 swings off the tee and I want to hit 10 in the row the exact same way, the exact same ball flight to the back of the cage with the exact same spin. It's kind of funny because it correlates into, you know, 1%. Like I said, it's funny that it correlates, but it's focusing on, you know, literally just getting 1% better every day, getting better at whatever you're doing every day and being consistent with it to get to that end goal. I love that. Yeah. So preparation and discipline. And one of the quotes that I read from your Instagram page was consistency in the cage equals consistency on the field. I guess the name of your company is 1% athletics. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, sir. And it's this idea of compounding to where these small habits of consistent work in the cage is going to lead to massive results down the road, but you have to consistently apply yourself. And I'm a huge proponent of being your own coach in the business world too, because there's nothing better than being a student of your own life. That's, that's the best learning place, which if you can get immediate feedback and record that in a journal or something, that's going to make you so much better because you can see your growth over time. Everything becomes objective when you become a student of your own life. So you're studying your life objectively, which detaches your, you, you've detached yourself emotionally from what it is that you're dealing with. And 
what you talked about getting feedback from the balls, a lot of times in the real world, you don't, you don't get immediate feedback like that. <laughs> so if you, can, if you can get immediate feedback and document it, you can see some serious growth. And then at what point did you take, at what point did you realize that a lot of what you were getting from cage work could be transferable to the business world and decide to uh, start a new business? How did, tell me about that transition. Really, this whole 1% thing kind of started uh, like when I was in high school or maybe even kind of before that because I was never the most talented kid baseball wise, but I always had a stronger work ethic than a lot of people. I was willing to do the extra work. Uh, and for me, because I knew I was not the most talented, you know, I had aspirations of getting drafted out of high school. I had aspirations of playing division one baseball. How can I get better than player X? Um, Cause I know to get to where I want to be, I have to be better than him or equal to him. And so, you know, every, at, at a young age, you know, I started working out in the gym when I was, I think summer going into my freshman year. Cause I remember my dad used to take me to the gym, drop me off and he would sit around and wait for me to get done working out to take me back home. Cause I wasn't driving at the time. And so it was like a slow process of I'm learning, you know, or I'm, I'm applying myself every day in the gym. Now, nutritionally, let me figure out how to eat healthy and get, get the results from my workouts. Um, you know, I had a net set up in my backyard. I would hit every night. So I, it was a slow compounding thing where I just felt like every day I'm trying to do something that other guys aren't going to do to separate myself. And, you know, I ended up going to junior college. I was the first and the last guy to leave practice every day. Once again, it just kept compounding, compounding, compounding 1% better every day. That's what I'm trying to achieve. And I remember it was four years ago and, and I had a buddy with me. He was working out with me at the gym and I was telling him how I wanted to start a, like a YouTube motivational speaking series. And the very first video I was going to record was about the 1% mindset that you're trying to get 1% better every day. And I had my little GoPro, horrible quality, horrible sound quality, and no like, you know, sound effects or video editing at it. It was just straight recording and upload it and that was going to be it. And so I kept telling him like, dude, like when we're at the gym, when we're done working out, let's just go outside and let me just record it real quick. Well, I couldn't ever take it serious enough to actually do it. So I would talk for like 30 seconds or a minute and just start laughing. So I never went through with it. And I, you know, I kept telling him like, once I get this, this video done, you know, I want to come out with clothes, blah, blah, blah. And just, I kept putting it off because I wouldn't finish the video, kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And then, um, about a year and a half ago, it's kind of when the whole adulting thing kind of, I, I really just had a life epiphany that, you know, it's time to start adulting. I need to figure out how to make money. I need to start getting some security for myself. I can't play baseball forever. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I was probably been longer now, probably about two years ago. I, one of my idols, I, I was watching one of his videos and he was just talking about, he likes to go on rants and he's very relatable. His name's Christian Guzman. He owns a gym here in Houston. He has his own fitness company. He's a big YouTube personality. And one of his videos, he's talking about basically just that if there's something you want to do, attack it and do it. Because there's no better time to start than right now. You're never going to be prepared to do something. Um, just do it, roll with it. 
and learn along the way, take the punches and figure out, you know, how to make it successful. And I had a little bit of money saved up and I was like, screw it. You know, I'm, I, this is something I've wanted to do for four years. I enjoy motivating and inspiring people. Like that's always been who I was trying to inspire people to better their lives because I've seen a lot of things that I've been able to do that really, I've only been fortunate enough to do them through hard work. I was never given anything or the most talented person. And so I kind of try to put that onto other people and motivate them to do the same. And so I got the logo drawn up and, you know, I got found figured out some manufacturers and, and found one I liked, got the shirt done and put the logo on it and um, ended up launching it in September. Uh, that was my first launch. And then I had another one this past December. It's just one of those things that, you know, I felt like I'm just, I'm going to try to learn along the way. I'm going to take the same work ethic that I applied to myself in baseball and apply that to the business work every day to get better at the business, to grow the business and any adversities that's going to come. I know they're going to come. I got to be prepared for them. Um, it's just a matter of handling them right way and, and dealing with them and getting past them so that I can continue to grow the business and, and have success with it. I tell young people all the time that if you just work 10% harder than your peers, you, so you said that you were the first to get there and the last to go home. It doesn't even, while that's awesome, it doesn't even take that. If you could just work 10% harder than your peers. So if, you're, if your peers are working eight hours a day, which most people do not work eight hours a day, they're putting in more like five or six. If you just put another 10%, which is what another, I don't know, 30 minutes, another 40 minutes, the compounding effect of that over seven to 10 years is going to be so huge that you're going to pick your head up and realize, wow, I'm, I'm so far ahead. Well, it's just these little 1% moves that you're talking about that, that really you begin to separate yourself. So I like what you said there. I also like what you talked when you talked about um, how you're never going to be fully prepared that you should take action. Uh, again, one of the reasons that I wanted you to get, wanted to get you on the podcast is that you posted about hitting in the cage and I sent you a message that said that there's such a short window to figure out what it is that you need to be a good a good hitter because the clock is ticking and in baseball you start to feel old once you get once you hit your 20s because you've seen guys like Bryce Harper get to the big leagues at you know, <laughs> such a young age if you set big goals like if you have aspirations to play professional baseball the value isn't necessarily in achieving the goal. It's what you become as you're achieving the goal. So I became someone who would spend a lot of time in solitude, hitting in the cage. I became a goal setter. I became disciplined. I got my health and nutrition right, figured out how to maximize my energy, sacrificed a, not a, a lot of nights out on the town. I didn't chase tail as much as my teammates, you know, things like that. Uh, but all that is going to make you better. Um, and I bring that up for this reason is that I didn't learn a lot of that stuff that taught me in the summer before my senior year. I didn't learn that until I was almost 22 years old. I use, I, that's late, right? I only had a year of baseball left. Had I learned that four or five years prior, who knows, right? But I use that hard lesson in the business world because I didn't want to be too soon old too late smart. And so what I did was I read every book that I could get my hands on. 
I saved and invested as much money as I, as I possibly could. I got mentors seeking the advice and opinions of those who are older and smarter and wiser than me. And I tried different things. I started businesses. I failed fast. I iterated. I surrounded myself with people who were also trying to do big things with their lives. I cut people out who were not doing anything with their lives. And that's how you get better. I surrounded myself basically with people who were better than me. My problem in baseball was that I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when I got to the real world at age 22, 23, baseball is behind me. What the skills that were transferable for me are the discipline and the goal setting and the realizing the values that I got just by playing just by playing sports and being a good teammate and surrounding yourself with studs. That's why I wanted to talk about baseball as a metaphor for life. Does Chase talk about with you being the hunter or the hunted? Yes, the hunter, the hunter and the hunted. Um, he uses the tiger is the animal he uses. I always tell him, well, no, I'm a lion. I'm not a tiger. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the hunter versus the hunted. You know, what are you going to be? You're going to hunt the pitcher. You're going to let the pitcher hunt you. Life is like that. Exactly. Right. And you have confidence when you get in the cage based on the work that you have put in when nobody else was around. When you know that you can force yourself to do things that others aren't willing to do, that breeds confidence. So if, if after I get off of this call, if I grab three books and my highlighter and I sit on the couch for two hours while the investor who thinks he might be competing with me, not knowing that I'm competing with myself, is scrolling Twitter or Facebook or Instagram for two hours. The compounding effect of that, who's going to come out ahead five, seven years from now? I love what you've come up with this idea of the 1% mentality. To me, it's all about compounding. Am I right in saying that? That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And I like that you said that you're not trying to be better than that other guy. You're trying to be better than yourself. And that is, that's another aspect of the 1% that, you know, if you're 1% better today, you're, that makes you a better person than you were yesterday. And so it's, it's not that your competition is anybody else. You're competing with yourself. Um, you're trying to see how far you can push yourself to continue getting better, uh, continue learning, uh, just to be able to live the life that you want to live and, and have, you know, the ultimate that financial freedom or, or just to do whatever you want to do, whether it's run a business, you know, start a family, whatever. Um, I know one of the things I've always really lived by, especially now these last three years playing professional baseball, um, is that my, my success that I'm going to have next season is determined right now in the off season. I've, I fully believe that your preparation that you put in and the leading months ahead to something is when you reap the benefits of that success. I know that if I put in the work every day in the cage, you know, hitting and fielding ground balls for these five months of the off season, that once I step into a game uh, situation, all I have to do is react and play what I know how to do naturally because I've already prepared for these last five months to play a season. I feel like the guys that you see struggle, if you go back and look at their training, or if they're getting hurt, you go back and look at their eating habits and you'll see how all those things compounded up, you know, over the course of, of that off season because they weren't doing it right or they weren't committed. And now they're, the, those problems are, are rearing their head when they're trying to perform at the highest level. And now they're freaking out. Well, how can I reverse this? Let me get in the gym now all of a sudden and go work out or let me go ahead and get those 
extra swings in it. And it doesn't work that way. That, I've always tried preaching that to any kids I coach that the, my success in the season starts right now. So if, if I'm prepared in the off season, I'm going to have success next year. And that's, yeah, I, 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 it's always benefited me um, because I've never taken a day off. And that was something that, that Chase had taught me because he was like, you know, if you want to play professional baseball, you, you want to make it to the big leagues, you're going to have to make sacrifices. And those sacrifices include, you know, you're missing 4th of July, you're missing uh, Memorial Day because, you know, those two days during, you know, if you're playing professional baseball, you're playing a game. So you can't go to a lake house with your friends to go celebrate 4th of July or Memorial Day. Um, you know, you're going to have to miss Thanksgiving or Christmas and all those things. And so I really took that to heart that every day was just another day. It wasn't necessarily, you know, Thanksgiving. To me, that's just a Thursday. I'm getting up and I'm going to the gym and, and uh, going to the cage before I go to my, my family's house. Um, so that was one of the things that he instilled in me. And, and I really feel like I benefited from because I've always been, I felt I've always been prepared. Um, for the, the season coming up. And that's, you know, like you said, now that's, that's me transferring that to the business world to have the same success with 1%, to have that same preparation so that I can have success, you know, at the last quarter of this, of 2000, uh, 2020. Everything that you just said about Chase, I can attest to. So he and I were best buds in high school and we went to college a few hours away from each other, at least for a little bit. And I can tell you that that guy had, he missed so many parties and so many weekends with friends because he was, he had big dreams of playing professional baseball. Uh, so yeah, I, I got to see that firsthand. And when you talked about getting better than you were, I find that a journal is the best tool for doing that because you can see what it is that you were thinking. Let's say January 24th of 2014, and you can see the goals that you had for yourself and you can check off or not check off whether or not you achieve those goals. Um, and I also like what you said about uh, preparation because people so many people want to win, but they're not willing to put in the work. And it's pretty cool when you're playing sports to hear quotes from, from coaches like Nick Saban or Bill Belichick or Tony La Russa or whoever it is. They always had good quotes to live by. But then when you get into the business world, you start seeking the opinions and advice of people who have had success with with business and investing. And so a quote that I had never heard in sports was from Charlie Munger, who's like the right hand man of, of Warren Buffett. And he says that the will to prepare is more important than the will to win. And what that means to me is that you, you need to be ambitious for the work and uh, rather than the reward. You know, when you have goals and systems in place to achieve those goals, the amount of time that you spend celebrating the achievement of that goal is not very much, at least as a component of your journey, right? That's why you, you probably heard Chase talk about focusing on the journey. The reason that's so important is because that's where you live. 99.9% .9 of this 
of everything that you're trying to accomplish is the journey. And then once you achieve what it is that you want to achieve, you better start setting new goals. Otherwise, you're going to devolve into uh, depression and addiction. I, I mean, I, don't take it from me. That's Buzz Aldrin, right, who's been to the moon. He wrote in his memoir that he didn't have, he didn't have anything to do. He didn't set new goals after he had been to the moon. It doesn't get any bigger than going to the moon. But he didn't, he didn't reset himself. He didn't have anything new to work toward and accomplish. So that's why the focus needs to be on the journey and making sure that you enjoy the process. And I hear a lot of coaches nowadays talking about the process and how important that is. Nick Saban is, is a big proponent of that. But uh, how do you think about the, the process and the journey? No, 100%. 100%. I, I can piggyback off that a few things you said. I think that's one of the things that kind of irritates me with social media right now is that everything is instant gratification. Uh, you know, I, I post a lot of my, my workouts and my hitting and stuff. It's not like for people to say, oh, you're so great. I do it more because it's like I want to show people that this is the kind of dedication that it takes to achieve something. You know, like the hours that you're not seeing. Uh, that's really kind of where my the social media personality came from of getting into YouTube and, and the Instagram thing. It was just like, I want to show people inside of what actually goes into this. Cause I see a lot of people that don't enjoy the journey. They just want to, you know, they, they want to go, go to the gym for 45 minutes and then say they worked hard and then, okay, now where, where is my reward? Okay. But what did you actually do at the gym? Did you actually have a plan and a process to, to, get stronger or, or if you're doing cardio, you know, to get your heart rate up or were you just there for the gratification of saying that I went there so you can post it and say, Hey, you know, look at me, I'm at the gym. And that's kind of one of the things that irritates me a lot right now that I try to get across is that the actual kind of work that you have to put in, you know, and a lot of my stuff is relatable because it's sports. Um, so it's relatable as far as putting in the, the training to reap the benefits on the field. But, you know, it's the same thing, you know, in, in business or in life, um, you know, and like you said, enjoying that process, uh, enjoying the preparation. Um, and then what you said about the journey, enjoying the journey and not the destination. I really, that, that was something Chase had always said, and I never really understood what he meant until I started playing professional baseball. And I really wish I would have had this mindset in college because in college, I was always so focused on what's next. You know, I, I'm just ready to go play pro ball. I'm just ready to get out of college, be done with school, and go play pro ball. And I, I didn't – I don't know. I look back, and I feel like I didn't truly enjoy college the way I should have. Um, and then now, you know, since I've played pro ball, I mean, I've been to, to California. I've been to Massachusetts, Vermont, uh, Maine, Canada. Florida. I mean, I've been so many places just over the last three years, thanks to baseball. And I've, as even though the MLB at the end of the day is always the goal, that's what you're playing for. I've learned that there's so much more that goes into it than just the major leagues, because really the make, make it to the major leagues is it's not even based upon talent. There's so many other things that go into it as far as, you know, contract structures and, and politics, who, you know, being in the right place at the right, right time. So you know, I feel like as as much as I can get the most out of my ability 
then at the end of the day, I'll be happy with my career as long as I enjoy the journey of it and not the end destination of I'm only going to be satisfied and make it to the big leagues. Well, you know, that's the odds of that happening, especially now, like you said, you know, when you get to your mid twenties, you're old in baseball and not that it can't happen, just that the, the odds become very slim. And so I've really learned to enjoy being in different places. I've been able to visit uh, the guys that I have met through playing you know i mean i've met guys from all over the world and really like three or four of them have become my best friends that i talk to every day almost so yeah that was one of the things you know chase really taught me was was the journey and it's just it's one of those things that goes back to what we were talking about earlier it's a baseball life lesson or baseball metaphor that applies to life as a lesson i actually don't like sharing on social media (laughs) as crazy as that sounds because i have a moniker or a pseudonym or whatever you want to call it it makes me feel pretentious and I have to be encouraged frequently to share things on social media. Uh, my wife is good about that, probably because of the age difference. She knows the importance of, <laughs> of continuing to do that consistently. Uh, but much like Buzz Aldrin, you know, I had a pretty cool accomplishment, nothing on the scale of the moon, but I retired at 34 years old and have the financial freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do with my time. So that creates some pressure, albeit self-inflicted, but I decided to have a blog. So that's part of my, my goals and systems now is creating a blog and a podcast. The only way that I can stay motivated with it is knowing that it helps people, knowing that it helps others. Otherwise, it would feel too much for self-aggrandizement. But yeah, I don't even, I don't like telling people that I'm financially independent. I never did any of that. I mean, many of my close friends didn't know the sort of investments and work that I was doing outside of my nine to five when I was building all of this life that I'm enjoying now. When Chase was getting to be in his mid to late 20s, he had the opportunity to play in Japan and he made some lifelong friends in Japan. And what an incredible experience that that he can reflect on, you know, when his when his days are numbered, that he can look back and think, wow, that one year of my life was awesome and life changing. And it even had ripple effects for me because when I went to Japan and I took my now wife and my mom with me, he said, let me make a phone call. And he set us up with a guy who had become one of his best friends, his best friend when he was in Japan. And that guy treated us like, like we were family. I mean, he took us into his home. We got to eat a home cooked meal everything was, it was immersing yourself in the culture for a couple of days. And he took us around Osaka and showed us different, you know, the castle or or not the castle, but well, yeah, it was the castle. Anyway, it was just an awesome, awesome time. And he introduced us to his family. All that said, I I have this question for you. Have you considered playing baseball outside of America? It's funny you asked that because I was actually just telling Chase this last night. Because uh, I, I hit with him last night, I got a offer from the Czech Republic this uh, about a few weeks ago um, to go play in Trebek, 
Czech Republic, I guess is what it's called. It's like two hours outside of Prague, Prague. I say Prague, Prague. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I got an offer to go play there. This is where really kind of the adulting and the baseball thing kind of clash because you know last year is when Chase had had introduced me to you. He was he was talking to me. Uh, we have so many conversations during our times of hitting. It's really incredible we actually get anything done. We talk half the time, but you know, he was telling me about you and and how you had a blog and and a podcast, or I think you were starting the podcast at the time, and you know how you were someone I would be interested in knowing. And um, so he, he directed me to your to your blog, and I remember reading the very first two you had posted. Uh, I went through and I read every single one that had been posted up to that time in order. I'm very OCD, so I like to do things like chronologically. If I'm looking at something old, I'm weird like that. But I had read the first one about creating your financial independence. And then the second one that was, I think it was your tips or how you got started or something like that. And it really kind of was uh, epiphany that, you know, I'm, at the time I was 25, so I'm coming off a of parent's insurance, you know, next year. I'm really getting to that point where I've played, yes, I've played two years of professional baseball, you know, and I'm still playing independent ball. I'm not an affiliated ball. And at 25, the road to, to really the major leagues, but even affiliated ball is kind of long because, you know, like I said, you're old um, in baseball terms and they want younger guys that you know they can get to the major leagues at a young age and they'll be there for a longer period of time and they'll be in their prime longer and i say that with quotation marks because whereas before years ago the prime used to be from like 26 to 31 now your prime's like 22 to 26 is how they see it and so it really just kind of was like a epiphany for me that you know i kind of need to start figuring out how I can make money because baseball is not going to always last. And I need to have some kind of security so that when I'm done playing baseball, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, hopefully get married and start a family. And I, you got to have money to do those things. You've got to have money to you know, get a wedding ring and, and to um, have a wedding and then to have a house and all those kind of things to, to start building a family. And what's tough for me is that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it full effort. Being an independent guy, not having affiliation to any major league team, I could technically kind of get called at any point in time to say, hey, you know, the Red Sox want, want you to work out for them or the Astros want you to work out for them. Come to this workout. Or, you know, hey, this independent team wants you to come work out for them. Go work out for them. So I, you kind of have to be ready year-round um, playing independent ball because, you know, your, a lot of your opportunities will come in the fall or the off season. And so, you know, when people say, well, man, how are you not like working a job? You know, I coach and I give lessons, but other than that, like my time is spent training. And so it's hard for me because I've kind of, this is where I feel like I take a lot of insight from guys like you and chase is because it's like, how do I, I straddle that line where I'm still feeling like I'm reaping the benefits of getting my training to prepare for a professional season, but also setting myself up in the in the future to be stable and able to live. Because I mean, I guess the way you know I've explained it to people is it's like I've worked my whole life with the end goal being to play professional baseball, and so now that I'm here, 
I want to be able to get the most out of it that I can. I don't, I don't want to play just a few years and okay. I, yeah, I did it. Like, you know, I want to be able to get the most experience. I met Chase when I was in fourth grade. So he was probably two years into his professional career at the time. And while every other kid wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. or Jeff Bagwell or Mark McGuire, for me, I always wanted to be Chase Lambert. Like he, I've idolized, idolized him. That was who I wanted to be. And so, you know, once his playing days were coming to an end and I just had seen everything he had accomplished, all the places he had been, it was like, that's the career I want for myself. I don't necessarily need the big leagues. That'd be great, you know, because that's the dream, you know, to be the top 1% in the world. But I don't necessarily need that. If I could have the same career or even half the career that Chase had, you know, I'd be happy with that. And so I've really kind of told myself, I want to play till I'm 30. Because I feel like if I played till I'm 30, that's comparable to what Chase was able to do and get out of his career. And so, you know, that's kind of for me where it's tough. It's like, how how do I completely keep myself fully invested, but still also not jeopardize my later years in life? Now having a, a chance to go overseas I feel like I have like a midlife crisis and I'm not even 50 yet. I have like a midlife crisis at 25. because It's like, what do I do? You know, how do I figure all this stuff out? And that was one of the other motivating factors, you know, behind starting the business. Cause there's, there's a lot more that I want to do with it than just, you know, the apparel. There's kind of like some public speaking, um, some training, like just eBooks. Um, you know, I want to get into like sponsoring teams and I'm actually going to start my own baseball organization here in the Houston area next year or this fall actually. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of things that I'm hoping as long as I continue to work at them, well, I'll end up reaping the benefits later on the line. And hopefully I can continue playing while those things grow. And then when I'm done playing, they're kind of there as for me to go, you know, have a steady income. Zig Ziglar said that money isn't everything, but as far as needing it to live, it's reasonably close to oxygen. So <laughs> you do need money to live. Um, I always tell young people that your biggest fear should be squandering your youthful energy. So when I was in my 20s, I did work two jobs and my primary employer did think that I was fully invested, but I still found time to work on a side hustle to build for my future. So for you, I don't think it's an either or situation. I think it could be a both and. You'll never have more energy than you have right now to conquer the world. This Czech Republic opportunity is something that I would take very seriously. Where do you sit right now? Where, where do you stand? I, I talked to the guy and I told him like, hey, yeah, I'm interested. Obviously, you know, first choice, I want something, you know, that's here in the stage just to, you know, keep, I don't know, maybe, I don't really know if it's a pride thing. Because I'm, I'm typically able to swallow my pride, but I think it's more... Just to continue saying, I guess it is a pride thing to say that I'm playing professional baseball, you know, in the States, playing in a, a nice stadium, traveling on buses and all that kind of thing. And then having access to my parents and family being able to come see me play because my dad, he's able to work from his computer and his phone. And so he pretty much doesn't miss a game. Um, and then my grandparents like to come with him. So that's one of the things that's like, you know, I know if I'm overseas they probably won't be able to come as much. You know, they maybe they'll come for a week or two weeks or a month or who knows. Um, but I was, I was talking to him 
And I told him about a pitcher that's like, he's one of my best friends. It was in Florida. And I was like, Hey, like, would you be interested in a pitcher? And he said, yeah. So he got in contact with him and, um, they're actually negotiating like contract stuff right now. But I was like, you know, if you could get him and be willing to take him, that'd be more incentive for me to go because I would know someone and we could, you know, have four or five months of just hanging out together. Someone that played for that team last year, kind of ask them, you know, how it was, how, how were you treated and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't get the best reviews on it. And so I'm kind of, and, and I've asked multiple people and they've all kind of said the same things. I told my, I told my buddy, the one from Florida, I told him, I was like, you know, like someone's experience somewhere is subjective to what they like and what they enjoy. So I kind of take that with a grain of salt as far as what they, they're kind of saying of, you know, how they enjoyed it. But I've kind of had like three or four people all kind of say the same thing. Um, mainly just like the town is small that, that you'd be in. Trebek is like a town of like 30,000 people. So he's like, you know, it kind of gets boring real fast. Um, I guess to go to Prague or Drossy, I think is the other place. Um, they're both like two hours for, I think, a train train trip. And he's like, the only problem is, though, is, is that you only get a 90-day visa to travel. And once that expires, you can't renew it. So then, you know, you got to do all your traveling within those first 90 days. And so after those 90 days, you're stuck in Trebek. And he's like, and that's kind of where the problem runs in. Is there, it's such a small town. There's not much to do. So, yeah, that's kind of where, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not... I live very simply. Like I don't need a lot of entertainment. I don't go out. I don't drink and party and all that stuff. I like to travel. Um, and I would be really interested in seeing that part of the world and having that experience. But at the same time, like I wouldn't want to get bored and miserable and like missing home at the same time, just because, you know, I've run out of stuff to do. So that's kind of the dilemma I'm at right now, trying to figure out, how that kind of works or if there's any other ways around it. Hmm. Well, I know you're not asking for my advice, but it's, uh, it's almost a no brainer just for the growth and the experience. And I lived in Prague, my wife and I last year for over 30 days. The reason we decided to live there, quote unquote, live there. I mean, we were there for over a month is because it's so awesome. I, I absolutely love it. And the Czech people in small towns are really nice people and you're immersing yourself in the culture, which is wonderful life experience. It's not that long of your life. So although it seems like a big chunk of time now in hindsight, it's going to be a little small sliver where you got a tremendous, tremendous life experience, but I would live in Prague. I absolutely love Prague. It's a fairy tale city. You would love Prague too. You'll just have to take my word for it. Um, <laughs> so I have a services travel services company where I will take people from or through Prague and Budapest and Vienna and Bratislava and all of that area. Munich is not far from there. Have you ever been to Europe or no? No, I've, the oh. only place I've been out of the country is Canada and Mexico. Yeah, so. this is a this is this would be such a no brainer <laughs> for me. I'm telling you. It's, it's, Chase, Chase said the same thing. Yeah, Americans don't quite understand until they do it. But yeah, you've got to do this. It's crazy. I can't convince people. I guess I'm not that good a salesman as I used to be. <laughs> but I can't convince people to take this trip with me 
But once they took it, they would be screaming to the hilltops about how awesome it is. I mean, it really is that great. I, I don't know. And privately, I'll, I'll give you more. But just like, like especially, especially since you're single, you know, Czech women are, are known to be like the most beautiful women in the world. I don't find them attractive. I like my wife, but <laughs> the polarity is still there. There's still strong polarity. So you get sweet and feminine and all of the things that we traditionally value in America where you don't get the cockiness and the arrogance and all of that that you have to deal with. Anyway, yeah, no brainer. So I, I don't <laughs> want to spend all night on that. But if you have more questions about Czech Republic, I'm happy to answer them for you. But I'm a yeah, good fan. Definitely have to be something we can talk about, you know, post post uh, podcast or another time. Do you have a uh, a favorite book right now? I'm reading Mind Gym by Gary Mack, and it's really it's kind of developing that mental edge as an athlete. And I'm almost done with it. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I kind of go back to like basic books like The Secret and Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, I have one by Lewis House. The what, what's his podcast called? School of Greatness, I think, and that's what his book is called. Mm. Um, and I've read through the first few pages of that. I wouldn't really say I have one single favorite book. Um, I kind of just pick one up, start reading, and you know, I have Chase's reading list from it's like three or four years deep now. So I'm trying to check books off of there as I go. Um, I'm weird. Like I said, I'm weird. So I'll actually like read like three or four books at one time. Like I'll have a book that I'm reading a chapter and it's like, okay, now I'm getting bored. Let me go to another book. And then I'll come back to that book like a few weeks later. Probably not the best habit, but I don't know. It keeps me interested in them. But I'd say Mind Gym right now. I really enjoyed that one uh, by Gary Mack. Very cool. Are your parents still married? They are. What kind of work does your dad do? Him and his brother have a insulation business, so they're they're in the home building business. Um, so they have an insulation business, um, installing insulation, and, and I think they do gutters too. I can't, I'm not really sure, but um, he's he's been doing that for, geez, twenty years maybe. Hmm. Um, he's worked for a few different companies, and then when that recession hit. Um, back in, I can't remember what it was. I was in high school whenever it hit. That was kind of when we had moved and all that happened. Um, that's when his brother was like, you know, I'm going to start up a business and okay. So he went with them and now they're doing it together. So. Do you think your parents would let you move into the house if you needed to at age 33? Yeah, but they probably <laughs> wouldn't like it, but yeah, I definitely think they would. Wouldn't that encourage you to take more risk? A hundred percent. Right. You talking about right now? I'm talking about yes. And between now and the time yeah. you're 33. Okay. hundred yeah. percent. I think we have incredible safety nets set up in America. And if you come from a, a strong family whose parents are still married, you have no excuse for not taking some serious, but calculated risk. Yeah. And that's, I mean, because I know, you know, I could live with my grandparents, I could live at my cousins, I could live at my parents, you know, if I had to, I'm really even probably some friends. Uh, but, you know, that's one of those other things that kind of was a motivating factor for, you know, starting the business. Uh, 
I felt like I'm taking a risk. I'm not, I'm doing something that I have no knowledge in. And I, I don't want to call it failure because it's not, I don't believe in failure. I think if you fail at something, it's only a, a lesson to be able to learn something. But I say this using the word failure. But if I was to fail at it, I don't feel like I'm losing anything because I'm so young. And so that was kind of my thing is like, well, if I invest, you know, some money into it and it ends up not working out or not going the way I wanted to, it's, I don't really feel like I'm putting myself in a hole because I'm not, you know, I don't have a family to support or kids or any of that right now. Um, and you know, I know you had sent me your bigger, bigger pockets link. I think that was one of the, when I first messaged you on Facebook, you had sent me that link. I think it was the real estate one. Um, and I've listened to a lot of their stuff and like every single person that comes on to their, uh, show as a guest, every single one of them says, I wish I would have taken more risk when I was younger because the risk and usually end up paying off and haven't paid a bigger dividend in the long run. And I've kind of taken that to heart. I'm not really, I'm, I guess one of the things Chase has taught me is I'm not scared of failure. I'm not scared of, of what well, I, that kind of comes from baseball too, because you fail so much in baseball and I'm not scared of asking questions if I don't know anything and I'm very persistent. So if I want to know something, I will bug you until I get the answer. Uh, but I remember like two years ago, I was, I was trying to get on this team where I was, you know, I was sending out my, my emails that I send to connect with people like, Hey, here's my stats and my video. And there was this one team and I couldn't get a response from them. So I kept sending them emails and like, four or five emails in a row. And finally the guy responded back and he said, look, we got your email. Stop emailing me. I will contact you if we're interested. And I was like, well, dude, you never said anything back to me. So I'm sorry, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that I learned from Chase was, was persistence, networking, and then not being afraid to fail. And so, you know, I completely agree with the, your risk statement about taking risk right now until, you know, 30, 31, 32, 33. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the guy who told you to stop bothering him. When you gain experience, things like that tend to not bother you. And the reason I say that is because you'll get just as many people who will be upset that you didn't follow up enough. So it's just a numbers game, right? That's, that's sales. So, yeah, continue until you get a no. Always remember this. Yeses and nos are good. Maybes are bad. Don't ever get stuck in maybe land. Life is too short. I asked about your parents still being married because it appears that you're, you've got a solid foundation. Uh, Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And I believe the subtitle is How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And your generation has a horrible reputation for being coddled. It's fun for me to look back at what I would do if I'm in your situation because I am completely emotionally detached and I've already lived it. And so faced with a completely new set of options, like going to the Czech Republic to play baseball, that would be, <laughs> oh, I'd be, I can't even believe that that's the place you're considering. I'm telling you of all the play, we're going to go back to Prague and live again, quote unquote, for another 30 days this year. We like it that much. So and the, the getting around, like transportation on a train, you're going to just think that America is this backward <laughs> place because it's just so easy to um, 
you just show up on a train, you don't have to check bags, you get on, you go to the next town and you're there in an hour and a half. You can read on the train, you can, you know, just stuff that we're not used to in America. So it's really cool. Well, I've been trying to go to Australia for the last three years and that hasn't worked out, but that's another place that I want to go play. Um, you know, I know Chase has raved about how awesome Japan was. I'd love to go to Japan. Well, my problem is with Japan, they want guys like Chase that were, you know, big leaguers or AAA guys. So right now, I just don't have the resume for that. But yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I want to be able to, I feel like the best experiences are traveling the world and meeting new people and immersing yourself in other cultures. Easiest way to enrich your life. I agree. All right, I'll ask you some fun questions and we'll wrap up. What do you? What story do you hope to tell your grandkids about your thirties? You know, I, was, I have a family that that is being built to developing the things I did in my twenties. I'm benefiting from in my thirties, and you know, I'm having the security. Not not like you said, money isn't everything. I'm not a materialistic person, but to have the financial security to be able to live comfortably and just being able to enjoy life and have the experiences of, you know, to travel whenever I want and kind of just do whatever I want. I mean, I look at that with my dad, um, that he's, he's built for him that he's able to do pretty much anything, whatever he wants to. So I kind of want to have that same, same thing to be able to share to my grandkids, but hopefully be able to fast track it to a faster timeline. Best thing money can buy is time. What would you do with a million dollars if somebody dropped it in your lap tomorrow? <laughs> the first thing is I would take a sum of that and invest it in some way to try to grow that money and have it safe to where it's, you know, this is what it is. It's going to grow to whatever. I'm not very knowledgeable on, on stocks and bonds and all that stuff. It's one thing I want to learn how to get into, but you know, some sort of stock market investing or put it in a bond. Um, I would want to buy a house and then I would want to start getting into real estate. So maybe buy two or three rental properties to start getting into real estate. And then with whatever I have left, I've always told myself that any money I ever made, I was going to buy my dad a Range Rover because he's always wanted a Range Rover. And I always thought that money was going to come from baseball, but it might come from other things now. But so I would take, you know, a portion of that, buy him a Range Rover. And then if I had any left that, you know, I would obviously keep some that would be living money. And then whatever the difference was that kind of was just laying around. The only materialistic thing I want is a 458 Italia Ferrari. So that would be my little purchase to myself. Nice. I say these are fun questions and I think they're more fun for me because I get to hear different answers from people and it's really fun when somebody answers in a way that nobody else has answered before. Like <laughs> buy my dad a rover. That's pretty that's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, what are you most grateful for? Probably my family, honestly, because they've they've supported me in everything I've ever done. And you know, they've always been there and everything I've ever done and I'm not I don't want this to come off the wrong way but I'm not spoiled maybe I am in some people's eyes but I've always been able to have whatever I wanted and obviously there is a price I had to pay as far as working for that but I, I've been fortunate enough to have anything I wanted 
to have or do anything I wanted to do. And, you know, they've come to all sporting events. They've supported me through everything I've ever done. So definitely them. We're very tight knit. So. So we mentioned your brand, the 1% Athletics. Am I saying it right? Yep. How can people find more information on that and connect with you online? The website is 1%athletics.com. And then I have an Instagram page for it as well. It's 1% underscore athletics. Uh, um, It should pop up. You'll see it. The logo is like a little circle. It says one with percent athletics under it. And so those are the two places right now. Dude, I enjoyed this. I appreciate you coming on the Man Overseas Podcast. Thank you, buddy. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. I truly appreciate it so much. I've been listening for a long time now, so it's awesome to be on. Very cool. I hope you feel like you can contact me anytime, anything you need. Awesome. I sure do. I know you're like an extension to Chase for me, so definitely. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Carson and I. If you want to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I am at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.